All right, and we're back for another episode of the Level Up Grappling Podcast. I'm your host, Ed, along with my co-host, Coach Brian. The Level Up Grappling Podcast is the official podcast of PCI Jiu-Jitsu in Mission Viejo, California, under the tutelage of Coach Brian. And we've got a guest on that coach met at the last catch wrestling competition. Yeah. And that is the one, the only Mr. Steven Ramos and uh, also known as Esteban, but at his school, <laughs> thank you so much for making time to get onto the show. And, yeah. um, or his, as, as he would say, his jujitsu name, right? So <laughs> thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for making time for us. And I'll say this as an intro to all of this, um, Coach, after so I had to leave the tournament early, but Coach told me afterwards he's like, I was not impressed by anyone at that competition. A lot of the guys were basic, you know, you know, straight shooters, just kind of uh, your typical jujitsu or your typical grappling kind of guy. Some people had some catch elements to it, but he said there was one guy that he was completely impressed by. And that's you, sir. <laughs> so, um, welcome to the show. Welcome to PCI. Oh, it's a PCI Jiu-Jitsu. Welcome to the Level Up Grappling Podcast. And just to kind of get started, so I know you won the catch tournament, the ACWA tournament there in Yorba, and so that was awesome. Congratulations to you on that. And yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, and I was doing some research, looking at through your Instagram and stuff. Yes, um, you know, stocking is what we do on podcasts. We have to stock our guests a little bit to get them figured out a bit. So, um, looks like you've got quite the history, and I'd love for you to just kind of share your background, really, about with anything grappling. Like, how'd you get started? Um, how'd you end up in jujitsu, and how'd you end up on the ACWA floor? Yeah, sure. Uh, it's been a long journey. Uh, I started grappling 21 years ago. I started with wrestling. And uh, so, yeah, in sixth grade, I started wrestling. And I went varsity in seventh grade. Uh, seventh grade wow. through senior year, I wrestled for my high school. Highest I ever did was third in New York State my senior year. Got a wrestling scholarship to North Carolina State University wrestled there Holy and shit. I kind of decided to retire after wrestling at NC state. I, I got burned out as many college wrestlers do, especially at the D one level. And yeah, I started working as a personal trainer. So, cause I wanted, I knew I wanted to stay in like the fitness world and it wasn't very long after maybe a couple years after I got so bored and I just needed to put my hands on people again. And I found jujitsu. I started doing jujitsu and it's, it's been great ever since. I think I've been training jujitsu now eight years. Sounds about right. Mm. And, uh, also combining it with, uh, you know, along the way I've trained Sambo now, judo, uh, other, other martial arts. So yeah. And, uh, I saw you were training with my buddy Vlad. Vlad is incredible. Yeah. Vlad, he was my Sambo coach when I was still living in New York, and he was still living in New York. Yeah, now yeah. I'm in Arizona, and he's in Texas. Texas, yeah. I visited him out in Texas. His new gym is awesome. I uh, Any chance I have to go see Vlad, I try and take advantage of that. He's so incredible. Nice. So you're saying a lot of the martial arts that Coach loves, judo, Sambo, right, and all this, and plus you got the wrestling background. Um so do you have any formal catch training? No, no, I never really, no, 
no no formal catch wrestling just combine my own history of wrestling with now my knowledge of submissions and kind of just put it together Oh, I think well, what in that it case, was, it's still impressive. Yeah, no, what, what it was is like, because I knew when I was watching him, I was just like, there's no way this guy's a jujitsu guy. Because the wrestling was too, the thing is, is, your wrestling was too clean. You know, and this is what annoys me so much about um, sport jujitsu. Uh, nobody knows how to wrestle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at, at our school, what we do, half, literally 50% of every class is wrestling. So it's either wrestling or judo so in our gi days it's judo you know and i add elements of greco into it and then on our no gi days it's primarily greco in our stand-up but that's a that's a rare thing i think most jujitsu schools they completely ignore stand-up grappling and to me stand-up grappling is more important than the quote the ground part because you have to get the fight to the ground right and you know if you're a good wrestler and a good boxer guess what you're not going to the ground if you don't want to so it is what it is um, so when I was watching you, I was like, holy shit, why is this guy so sexy? Everything he's doing is so clean and beautiful. I'm like, there's no way he's a jiu-jitsu guy. And I was saying, Ed, we're getting him on the podcast. It's too good. He's too good. He's too clean. And you were having so much fun out there. And I, I want to point something out. You didn't just win uh, the national championship at your at your weight class. You also won the, the Gotch Award for, what, the most finishes – Plus the Billy Robinson award for the best wrestler at the tournament. So three awards, he, you know, he got the hat trick there. That's (laughs) uh, incredibly impressive in my opinion, because, you you know, it's not like one award went to somebody, one award went to somebody. You were the guy, you literally won in everything. Um, So I, I can't just say enough, just how impressed I was with, how clean your grappling was. And it was, it was really a thing of beauty. And I don't say that to anybody because I really can't stand the way most people grapple. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and what I mean is like, you know, the whole jujitsu thing, the sport jujitsu thing, but your performances out there were just so clean. Um, I'm curious when you were growing up wrestling, was it primarily folk style that you were training in? Yes. Yeah. Primarily folk style. I I did do a few freestyle tournaments. Um, I did a few practices in Greco, but never really any competitions. I think I had one Greco competition under my belt and a few freestyle, but for the most part, it was always folk style in high school and folk style in college. Wow. And so how, when, what inspired you when you were a kid to get into wrestling? You know, I think I think the way it happened was that there was a flyer over the top of a water fountain and <laughs> basically it just said if you have anger issues, come take it out on the mat basically. <laughs> and I was like, "Huh. Yeah, that sounds good. Let me blow off some steam. See if I can beat some people up." And uh yeah, it ended up being the best outlet that I ever found in my life. That's awesome. That's impressive. That that's hilarious. We might have to steal that marketing plan for PCI. And give that <laughs> yeah, a shot. Isn't that great? Yeah, I really, I really <laughs> hey, there's a lot of angry kids walking around middle schools. That's perfect advertisement. That's true, oh, especially nowadays. So, oh my gosh, but, yes. Um. So, in your early years, or let's just say in your formative years in grappling, what what kept you going? I mean, 
so you obviously <laughs> you see this flyer about anger management issues and you show up and it's like, <laughs> all right, take it out on the mat. Did you just, it, was it one of those things where you got hooked right away or is it that you, it took a little while for you to kind of get used to this and you're like, okay, now I see why I enjoy this so much. I had a natural affinity to it. You know, I, I took mm. to wrestling very quickly. Uh, yeah. Not the top guys right away, but like I was much better than average just starting out. And mm -hmm. it's always fun and easy to keep doing something that you're good at. So, you know, it, it, I took to it and it was a healthy workout. And I am when it comes to learning something that I'm truly interested in, I, I kind of am a little nerdy about it. And mm -hmm. I become very like scientific about it and i just love getting better every day i just got addicted to it i just wanted to know more about it how to disable people and just have my way with them <laughs> and how to not let someone do that to me you know yeah yeah um did that 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 kind of sense of learning is that something that's just kind of naturally within you and um is that something that or did, is it was that something that you felt you had to develop i think that i discovered that about myself via wrestling like i don't okay. think i knew that i was like that until wrestling mm -hmm. and now i know that i can be like that with anything i'm interested in it just happened that i don't think i was that interested in things until i started wrestling so how would you say that you learn now especially in, in the context of grappling wrestling jujitsu um or just grappling in general how is it more do you find yourself more intellectually stimulated where you're trying to actually understand theory, philosophies, or is it much more technical and mechanical where you're trying different moves, you're able to look at things, analyze them, and just kind of apply them? Like, how do you like to learn? I think at the base level, you have to understand the philosophies and the theories before you can get into the technical because that is kind of the ground that you build off of. And then, you know, once you understand the philosophy and the logic behind everything, you can understand how it can be broken from time to time and how it only applies in certain situations, but not other situations. And yeah, once I think that I have a pretty good rational grasp over something, I start putting it to work physically and trial and error, putting myself in different positions and just mm -hmm. seeing, seeing how I can put my own unique, uh, twist onto it, especially knowing different martial arts and things like that. Sometimes I can see things that other people can't. Yeah. Let's, let's dive into that a little bit. So you were also saying you Sambo, Judo. How'd you get into those? So Sambo, I met Vlad at a tournament that he was hosting at his school and it was similar. It was combat wrestling they called it there's no strikes but you wear wrestling shoes mm -hmm. very similar rule set to the catch wrestling and mm -hmm. that was a cash prize for uh whoever he invited i think it was like an eight-man tournament and i won that and that's how i met vlad and he said you know anytime you want come by my gym we'd love to have you and i started following him on instagram and watching all his sambo stuff and i was like man that is so cool and i've always i've always wanted to do judo like sambo was kind of new to me i didn't really know that was a yeah. thing until i met vlad um but i always found beauty in judo and i was like oh man this is judo mixed with wrestling i was like this is amazing this is 
the perfect martial art, you know? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I just started driving up to Vlad's school. It was about like an hour away from where I lived. So whenever I could on the weekends, I'd go up there and just pick his brain and throw some people around and learn from him. That's awesome. That's awesome. So let's talk jujitsu then. How did that all happen? Yeah. Um, I will say too, t- kind of, piggyback off what we were talking about before mm-hmm. in terms of wrestling and jujitsu and how a lot of jujitsu people aren't good wrestlers. I truly believe that, you know, the ultimate grappler starts in wrestling and develops jujitsu later because jujitsu is amazing and I love it. And I wish I would have started younger, but I don't wish I never wrestled because yeah. wrestling mm. makes you tough. It makes you deal with situations that you you just have to take sometimes with someone just beating you and, and just on your back, just cranking your neck and you can't go to your back and you literally, it just teaches you grit and, and you can learn how to apply that grit in jujitsu. But I feel like too many times if people start with jujitsu and then try to learn how to wrestle, there's too many cop outs. Like they, there's ways to avoid those difficult situations. So that's Mm -hmm. why I really think like, to make the hypothetical ultimate grappler, you got to start wrestling and then do jujitsu. Now there's people that have broken that uh, rule and still become phenomenal grapplers. I just think for the majority of people, that's how it goes. Yeah. I agree. Um, that's interesting. That's interesting. Um, if you don't mind, I'll pick you back off of that too, is how would you say that if somebody did start in jujitsu mm-hmm. and they want to start exploring wrestling, like one of the things that we talked about on the show is how a lot of jiu-jitsu people, and this is nothing against anybody who does jiu-jitsu. It's just what we've been observing, just like you're saying with wrestling. Uh, in that sense, is we see a lot of jiu-jitsu people wanting to go take a, a judo class, a judo you know seminar to pick up on these judo concepts and or moves and stuff. Um, if you hear my daughter screaming, I apologize. <laughs> but, um, yeah, she's she's kind of our third co-host per se. But anyway, um, it, it, I'm curious as to so when I'm, you see a lot of jujitsu people taking little tidbits of classes here and there in other styles, as if they're trying to pick up something, as if they're trying to say, "I took a judo seminar and now I know how to do my uchimadas and all this and that." or my wazas and all this. And it's really like, to me, it's, I think it discounts the other styles. And so to your point, I think I completely agree with you in that wrestlers coming into jujitsu is a very powerful transition and pathway, but I do see a lot of struggle the other way around. Right. And so I would say from your experience, and cause I know that you do seminars and we love to promote that on the show today as well, but um, how do you, how would you recommend a jujitsu practitioner or a student as to one, why should they take on wrestling and two, how can they transition into learning wrestling that would complement their jujitsu without, without it kind of becoming like this whole, yeah, I went to a wrestling seminar and so now I know wrestling. <laughs> Definitely. I think it's extremely difficult to do it because you can't do it alone. Like you need, you need a, you need to submerse yourself in it. And that means you need at least one other person who's willing to go down that with you, uh, which is, you know, the 
importance of having good drill partners and whatnot. But I think that if a jujitsu person is really trying to learn how to wrestle, they should spend time like just wrestling. And that means, you know, no guillotines, no Kimuras, just trying to wrestle. And then of course, like once you get comfortable with it, throw your submissions back in there. That's how you're going to learn how to apply it to jujitsu. But Mm. You know, there's something to be said about learning how to defend a takedown when you can't guillotine or Kimura someone, and you need to know how to be able to do that. Because one day, that guillotine or that Kimura might not work, and you might have to throw your hips into someone and be a brick wall. You know, and and a lot of people are so used to just letting that takedown come into them and rolling with it kind of Aikido style. And yeah, that's amazing, but sometimes that's not what you want to do. Sometimes you want to be that brute force that hits them with your hips Mm -hmm. and they just took a shot on you and they're shocked. They're like, what the hell just happened? Like, what did I hit? And that's something that you can only learn from like really just two guys just wrestling, trying to kill each other. That's true. Love it. Love it. How did you, so how did you find JT Torres? How did you pick his school? That was, I've been very lucky in my life, very fortunate, very grateful for all the opportunities. Everything seems to work out, and I just am always presented with great opportunities. Uh, When I chose jujitsu, I I just took the word of one of my friends and said, oh, you should go down to uh, the Henzo Gracie, not the Academy in New York City, one of the affiliates in New Jersey, Northern Valley. They're like, go to Henzo Gracie, Northern Valley. I think you'll love it. I went there, met some great coaches, great teammates loved it and then it was less than a year of training there i was still a white belt and jt started posting he was still in san diego training at atos at at the time and jt and i went to the same high school oh wow yeah so but we didn't know each other in high school he was he was a year or two older than me um i think yeah i think two two grades above me and i didn't know him at the time and I, I was a wrestler. I was, you know, doing the wrestling thing and he was doing the jujitsu thing his whole life. And yeah. I think in high school, he kind of just flew under the radar. Um, but yeah, so I, I always knew of him, especially like as I started to progress in wrestling and he started to just take off, take over the world in jujitsu. So we always kind of followed each other. Uh, but yeah, I saw that he was moving back from san diego to new york to open up a jiu-jitsu academy and i was like man how cool would it be if it was close to home you know and we're from the same town basically so mm-hmm. i was just like maybe, maybe there's a good chance he's gonna do it close to home and he ended up doing it uh right across the bridge in the county over and yeah i was getting really serious i mean i was still a white belt in jiu-jitsu but i was like mm-hmm. i think i want to commit my life to this like i want to do this i want to get good i want to learn from the best and I saw that he was moving to uh, Hartsdale, New York, which wasn't far, maybe like 30, 45 minute drive from my house. And I was like, okay, I'm leaving. I, I knew I was at the point where it was either going to be Henzo Gracie Academy in New York City. And that's what I was thinking about doing until I saw JT post saying that he was coming home. And I was like, man, now I'm, now I'm between Henzo Gracie Academy and JT Torres. I was, and then I just, I went over to JT's school when he first opened up. He was like, come by, you know, try a class. I rolled with him. I was like, that is what I need. That man kicking the shit out of me every day <laughs> is what I need. And yeah, I, I just knew. And he he hired me on the coaching staff and wow. I started working. 
That's awesome. So, okay, I'm curious about something. Given your wrestling background, you're walking into jujitsu as a white belt. I'm assuming you were training some gi, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, so how was it for you jumping from wrestling to jujitsu? Did you feel like, all right, I, I, I'm competitive here. Uh, was it frustrating for you or was it like, oh, I just need to kind of just figure out a couple of things and then I just I can handle these guys? Yeah, I think that I relied heavily on positional dominance when I when I started because I knew if I got to side control, I could hold someone. I didn't know what they were trying to do to me. I didn't know where I was going with it, but I was like, I'm winning, I think, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm on top. I, I'm past the guard. They, they're not moving, so I win, right? Uh, yeah, it was it was very just brute. Uh, no finesse at first. And then I learned like Americana and Kimura. And I was just trying to do that to everybody. And and that's, mm-hmm. that's how it started. I, I think at first I hated the gi. It, it felt like a straight jacket and I was just mm-hmm. dying for no gi class. I was like, come on, what, you know, what do I need this for? But I was like, you know, I'm going to respect the process, keep it, you know, traditional. I'm I'm sure there's things I can learn in the gi, even if I'm only going to be a no gi, which uh, is true, and I'm glad I did it. But yeah, it was very difficult in the beginning to to put on that gi and you know tie a white belt around my waist and <laughs> <laughs> walk into a school and get humbled by some blue belts that know some tricks that I didn't. But but that's the kind of stuff that kept me coming back. Is is you know. Losing to someone that I felt like I shouldn't have lost to just because I didn't know something. I was like, oh, that's on me. I got to figure this out and I got to come back. But I imagine for you, the learning curve must have been really short, you know, because to me, it's just like at your skill level, you know, you learned, you see it once and you're not going to get caught in it twice. Yeah. I I can't imagine you getting caught in something multiple times. You're too good of a wrestler to not be able to just be like, ah, okay, got it. Not going to do that again. No problem. <laughs> Thanks. I definitely think the learning curve was shorter for me. Uh, I, you know, there's a tendency among wrestlers that I've seen in jujitsu, people who were wrestlers and then became jujitsu athletes. Some translate very well and just immediately pick up jujitsu, and some cannot break wrestling habits, and it's detrimental to their transition to jujitsu. And I'm lucky that. I consider myself one of the former who just, I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to my back. This is awesome. <laughs> like at the concept of just always facing your opponent, it just clicked. It was like, yeah, of course you'd never want to turn your back on someone who's trying to murder you, you know? But, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I think that some people wrestle for so long and they just can't break habits like that. That was just one example, but. Yeah, I was about to ask. So I don't have a big wrest. I don't have a wrestling background. And so I'm curious as to what tendencies and or habits per se that a, you know, high school wrestler, collegiate wrestler um, would have issues with in terms of jujitsu. Yeah, I think that the biggest thing is being comfortable going to your back. First mm-hmm. of all, and just because even like how you are on your back in jujitsu, you're never flat on your back. You're always kind of in your guard. You're on one hip or you're on the other hip and just getting used to, you know, being like a top and spinning 
uh, as opposed to just rock solid. Here I am, you know? Uh, so just kind of like loosening up and I've wrestled internationally quite a bit. You know, I traveled and wrestled people at different countries. And I always realized that when I went to like Bulgaria, uh, you know, some of these countries, like everyone is so loose. Like when you put your hands on them, they're like noodles. And then when they go, they're, they're gone. They just go so quick and they just change. And I feel like, you know, there's phenomenal American wrestlers who also adapt that style. But as a whole, I think America has a very like robotic wrestling strategy where everything is just tight for seven minutes and just clubbing heads and, you know, and so that is another big thing that I think wrestlers have a hard time with. It's just loosening up once mm-hmm. once they transition to jujitsu because jujitsu is very loose. You know, you have to be. Yeah. Um, and of course, like putting your head to the outside if you're shooting a high crotch or a double and just getting choked immediately time after time. You're like, OK, I guess mm-hmm. I either have to figure out how to fix this shot or stop doing these shots. You know, and some people all they have is a high crotch. It's a deadly high crotch, but if that's the only shot you have, you better learn some new takedowns quick. Otherwise you're going to be pulling guard, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Did you feel throughout your training, especially having transitioned from wrestling to jujitsu, or I I don't want to say transition, let's say from merging into jujitsu that, um, that there were any, did you, I should say this, did you find any weaknesses or deficiencies within the context of jujitsu that your wrestling filled. And then maybe, and cause we're just talking about how wrestlers are struggling to transition into jujitsu, especially like you're saying with being on their backs, being a little bit more loose and understanding these different kinds of submissions per se. Um, were there things that you found that wrestling had an advantage in when you were learning jujitsu? a great question i think that wrestling kind of teaches you not to quit and sometimes mm-hmm. uh in jujitsu it's very important to know when to quit like when you're beaten mm-hmm. a position and i think that in terms of wrestling i was able to control most positions and when something didn't mm-hmm. feel right i knew it immediately you know, like I, I had this awareness, like I am in trouble right now, even if it was just mm. a subtle shift in my, yeah. my position relative to my opponents, I was like, okay, something doesn't feel right anymore. I think I'm in hot water. And then usually, at least in the beginning, it was like, yep, hot water. <laughs> that's, that's for sure. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think, uh, there's a very heightened level of body awareness that comes with wrestling for a long time. Just putting your hands on people that translates yeah. over for sure. That's interesting. Cause that's probably one of the things that coach would say. And I would say that I struggle with the most is that sensitivity, um, and positional awareness. And the way that I've also described it for me is as a white belt in jujitsu and really in just gr- in the grappling arts is being able to use my upper body and my lower body at the same time. And one of my old coaches used to call it a four by four. Basically, it's like, hey, you know, you have to go off road. And so my issue has been like, if I start working with my hands and my upper body, my legs shut down. And then if I start playing with my legs, being defensive, my upper body shuts down. And it's coming into this mindset for me where I'm trying to use, like, how can I be sensitive to both sides or to both parts? 
upper body and lower body functioning together. And even then, all while at the same time being sensitive to the position that I'm in. And so at PCI, when we're training, you know, Coach Brian's always he's always throwing in these uh, sensitivity drills for me, just even starting with the basics of push and pull. When, you know, I think I, I competed at the ACWA months ago, the one right before yours. And I, I, I lost cause I tripped over my own feet and I got choked out, which is funny in and of itself. <laughs> but um, it's kind of like, it's almost as if, if I had recognized that and had the sensitivity that my opponent was pushing me what what could i have done differently right without tripping over my feet where were even my what how was my feet position i'm not used to wrestling shoes i'm used to if i when i learned jujitsu it was all you know bare feet and so to put shoes back to shoes put to put shoes on for me was like okay well there's a little extra grip here like you know i can't slide my feet around like i do in other traditional martial arts and so for me, it was quite interesting of like, okay, how do we develop these sensitivities? So I can completely see what you mean, where a wrestler would have a lot more sensitivity to the position and in a sense to the technique versus I think a lot of, I think from what I've seen, and this is just my observation, that a lot of, you know, jiu-jitsu practitioners especially when it comes to like the hobbyists people who aren't really competing they might compete here and there but they're not going for sport jiu-jitsu competitions and titles and stuff where they're very positionally aware i would say where it's just kind of like okay i'm stuck in this position now so it's very it's very programmatic it's like if you're here then you do this if you're here, then you do that. And I think from what I'm hearing from you, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, coming in as as a wrestler with that sensitivity, it's not so much if this happens, then I'm going to do this. Rather, it's kind of like, this is probably what's going to happen. I kind of already can feel something happening and I can respond to it. Um, and if you do catch yourself in a situation or in a position, then it's more or less... I didn't either I did not know that technique because I'm coming from wrestling and or it's just that yeah it's a new thing for me and I and I missed the you know I missed it during the transition. The one thing that I've learned through catch wrestling is that the weakest positions per se are or the most dangerous positions are within the transitions, going from one thing to the next. And that's kind of where I'm trying to learn my sensitivity of like, okay, well, if I am transitioning, how do I prevent this? Or how do I prevent that? What do I need to be aware of? So it sounds like more or less awareness seems to be an issue from what I'm kind of hearing. If I were to paraphrase it, it sounds like it's an awareness thing for a lot of jujitsu practitioners where I think they're all working towards it. Um, and I think at the high level you have that, but I think your average white belt and I'd almost dare to even say your average blue belt may be more of, again, very, I don't want to say robotic. I agree with you. I think wrestling is, American wrestling would be very robotic. I can see that. But I think when it comes to jujitsu, it's very much more of, again, programming of, hey, if you are caught in this position or if you're here, then this is what you do. And then if, then, if, then, if, then, if, then, and it's just kind of learning these if, thens. Does that sound, or do I feel like I'm, do you feel like I'm kind of interpreting what you're saying in that sense correctly? Yeah, I think that, you know, if you don't have a knowledge of grappling, you have to learn as many if-thens as you can. 
and then mm-hmm. you'll start to see when they don't apply anymore. Because otherwise, it's like you're scared because you don't know what to do if you get in a certain situation. That's why you always get lower belts yeah. when when professors teaching a move, and they're like, "Okay, that's great, but what if what if the guy does <laughs> this?" It's like, can you just yeah. learn the move, and then we'll we'll yeah, talk about we're it. Just you know, about <laughs> like so. Yeah, they rely on if thens. They need the if thens to feel like they're not going to die out there. Uh, yeah. So it's totally understandable. But I think that part of grappling at a high level is being very in tune with your body, but very in tune with your opponent's body. I mean, that's why you're mm-hmm. always touching them because you want to see what muscles are twitching, like what. Are they thinking? What are they about to move? It's very reactionary. And I don't mean reactionary in a defensive sense because you're reacting to their movement, but it could be towards offense. It's not yep. It's not always like they're trying to do offense and you're, reactive, uh, you're reacting defensively. That's not the case. It's like I'm on the offense and you're dodging me in some way and I'm reacting mm. to your dodge and I'm continuing to pursue, you know? So you have to be able to just flow with your opponent and uh, – it's, it's yeah, that's, that's when you really get good is when you just, you're not really thinking anymore. You're just, you're just yeah. moving. It, mm. You're speaking to the choir. Cause I, 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 I talk in that language all the time and we actually have a process <clears throat> in my gym called reaction mapping. So what we're doing is, you know, I always train everybody. I go, first of all, one of the things that we do a lot of is um, I have them train with their eyes closed. Cause I'm like, your eyes are going to lie to you. I go, I need you to feel this is about sensitivity, sensitivity training and reaction mapping. I go, so it's okay when they're reacting. I go, but you need to start to feel what they're doing and know what is the consequence of their movement and their reaction so that you know how to either counter it or attack it and how to properly set your pin or put them in a, put yourself in a more dominant position. And, you know, cause I don't teach me personally at, at my school, we don't just do random moves. Okay. I'm not like the guy that teaches random moves. We're on a 30 day cycle curriculum cycle. I teach one position a month. So like right now, this month is only mount top. So you're learning mount pins attacking from the top mount position. And then we have, um, certain throws and takedowns that we do, um, that are kind of going to go with it. So we have a set of throws for the month and that's all you're drilling. And then from the bottom, it's like, we're only drilling mount top, right? So you start to get really good offensively and defensively because that's the only, in my opinion, it's really the only way you can learn properly is getting back to what they do in a wrestling room. Mm-hmm. You know, not I, I one to me, one of the biggest flaws in, you know, sport jujitsu and how people are learning is they learn schiz- they're schizophrenic. They just learn random shit. And then you don't see it again for two years, and then they're just kind of spazzing out all over the place. And there's no there's no conceptual learning. Where it's like if you understand, okay, I know, have to know have to know like, you know, kind of distancing, how what my distance is, short distance, medium distance, long distance, right? Hand fighting. Oh my God, there is no such thing as hand fighting in, in jujitsu. That's hand fighting's wrestling, especially Greco and judo. So I'm teaching hand fighting. And I think there's like five people in the country that are teaching hand fighting besides myself is, you know, cause we have a very systemized breakdown in terms of how we engage in hand fighting. Plus because a lot of our entries are, are, are Greco based 
How are we hand fighting into underhooks, overhooks? How are we hitting our throws from there? Last month, we were focusing a lot on saltos. It was really funny watching Ed try to salto and his <laughs> lateral drops. Yeah, he tried. I had to literally get behind him and it looked like I was humping him. So I'm like, okay, here's, we're going for the lateral drop. So we had to do the lateral drop together to get him to do it, start to do it right. But it was fun. But I love that. I love to see that the way we have it set up is that everybody gets better because everybody's on the same page on day one, we're starting from zero and day 30. If you come to class, you're guaranteed to get better because you're going to be way better than you were at day one. Yep. And you can't say that in regular jujitsu schools because day one and day 30, it's not connected at all. They're different techniques. It's random moves. Nobody knows what the hell that they're doing, <laughs> you know? And so that I think leads to the, the issue that, you know, you're talking about this, you know, these people that spaz out over and freak out and they always have to have these if then situations because there was no concept or principles given to them in the beginning. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, you work a position, you drill that position, you go live from that position. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of good professors out there, but there's a lot of professors in schools that just don't do justice to the art either, you know, and yeah. it, it's really important that if you're going to teach someone a move, especially like someone who's new, you have to like, so if you teach a black belt a move, he's going to be able to put himself in that situation where he can work that move in live. If you teach a new move to a white belt, they don't know how to get to that position, let alone, yes. you know, they're thinking about the move. They're not, <laughs> if they yes. start thinking about how to get to yeah. that position, they're, the move's gone. It's already yeah. out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. So you, you have to set people up with the tools to succeed. And that's only done through reps. And I don't think enough people drill. That's a huge problem. <laughs> <laughs> like well, you really have to drill if you want to be good. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just because you're getting reps in that, that position and you're able to think while you're in that position. Cause when you're going live and someone's trying to break your arm, you're not thinking anymore. You're surviving mm -hmm. or you're trying to kill them back. You know, either way, it's not, it's not up here. You know, it's, it's much more primal at that point. And it's hard to rationally, excel your technique when you're just a caveman who's like kill you know um i will say so i want to touch on a few things you guys said when you were talking about how you have your athletes close their eyes and kind of feel it i don't know if you guys have ever seen blind wrestlers uh but there's people who are blind who wrestle and they have to start making contact with their opponent because otherwise you know they're they're just mm. lost in space so you start touching hands like this and then the ref blows the whistle and the, I've seen some blind wrestlers who are absolutely incredible who the second the whistle blows will launch you over your head <laughs> because they know exactly where you are they, they feel you they know your hands oh, are here so awesome. they know exactly they time that whistle they can't even see the ref and how close he is to blowing the whistle but they are ready for that bell that whistle and they will just launch you. And it's so beautiful when I see wow. it. Um, and Ed, back to what you were saying about the frames, yeah. moving all four limbs mm -hmm. at once. Something that's very important that I teach to all my students and my teammates mm -hmm. when they're trying to learn that concept, because it is a very difficult concept to learn, mm -hmm. is you have to establish a frame or a positional dominance in either your upper or lower body in order to move the other one. So I can only oh, move okay. my legs once my arms have established a dominant frame, 
right? And I can okay, only yeah. move my arms once my legs have established a dominant frame. If I try and move my arms and legs at the same time, there is a much greater chance that I'm leaving myself open for something to happen mm-hmm. to me. And oh. so, yeah, establishing dominance in one, either upper or mm-hmm. lower, that way you can move with the other it is huge. Huge. I appreciate you can send me the bill for the private lessons. I appreciate it. <laughs> First one's on me, Ed. <laughs> I much appreciate it. Much appreciate it. And uh, well, actually, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. Uh, just real quick, how you said that, how different you felt when you put on wrestling shoes. I haven't worn wrestling shoes in years, like, and it's usually just to help out at like a high school practice, and I don't really, you know, go a hundred percent with the high schoolers or anything like that. But in that tournament, when I put on those wrestling shoes, I didn't even practice for the tournament in wrestling shoes. I put them on and I started warming up. I was like, oh, my God, I forgot how fast I am in these shoes. Like, because you're so used to moving around barefoot. You got really no grip. Once you put on those shoes, I felt like a superhero or something. I was like, man, okay, I can can be fast in this tournament. (laughs) And, and, you know, it's funny thing that Ed's complaining. We train in wrestling shoes every day. (laughs) <laughs> so it's not like oh i don't know it wasn't his first day in wrestling shoes we're in our gi classes like i wear wrestling Let me shoes feel better day. about myself okay, <laughs> yeah, okay whatever Giftful. wrestling I mean, shoes hate, are fun it's definitely i love my wrestling shoes it's good to know how to fight barefoot it's good to know how to fight in shoes that's all it comes down to it's good to know how to fight a million different ways because you don't know what the next fight's going to bring yeah. So tell us about, um, your seminars. What do you, what do you do for your seminars? Um, kind of, what is it about? When did you start doing them? Yeah. Uh, my first seminar, uh, was in Switzerland actually. And, oh, wow. and my second one was in Wales. Um, oh. but yeah, I, I just, you know, I have people who follow me. I make connections internationally when I travel and I let everyone know, you know, if you ever want to learn from me. I, I mean, I'm usually when I go to someone else's school, I'm just trying to train and have a good time, make some friends, have some laughs. And, you know, if you saw something in my style that you liked and you think you want to learn from me, I would love to come back and do a seminar. Uh, so I just mm-hmm. let people know. Uh, sometimes, you know, I I have ideas in mind based on what they tell me like that I was doing to them in the round. Oh, you're so good at this. Oh, how did you do that? You know, so that kind of always translates into, well, you know, I can teach you if, if I have more time, I don't really have a lot of time right now to go into a whole system basically. Um, otherwise it's just like, yeah, anything you want to learn, just ask me. And you know, if I'm, if I feel competent in teaching it, I will absolutely come in and I would love to, you know, do you do you look at your jujitsu and even? I, I mean, obviously, in in the beginning, it was a lot of com- on the competition side of things. Do you still look at it much more in the competitive aspect, or has that kind of transitioned much more into a fighting and or self defense aspect? Yeah, when I learned, one of my great coaches uh, from my first school, he's a good friend of mine. He taught me jujitsu always thinking of self-defense you know like Mm. everything every position was always can you get punched from here no we're not going to punch you in this class but like (laughs) are you gonna 
are you going to use this? Like, if you're going to learn something, you might as well ha- learn how to defend yourself. You know, there's no point yeah. in pure sport jujitsu that doesn't translate to you protecting your loved ones if you get jumped in the street, in my opinion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. yeah, when I teach and when I learn, I, I try to always apply it to self-defense. Always, always. Because otherwise, I just don't think it's useful. Like, what, for a plastic little thing to put around your neck this is for life <laughs> this is to build confidence yeah. in yourself that you can you can protect the people you love you know yeah so that's where it always has come from for me and that's where it's always going to mm-hmm. be in terms of do i think about competition i always think about competition i always think <laughs> about winning you know like no one wants to go out there to find out their skill set is subpar compared to someone else yeah. But it's not about like getting that gold medal. It's about proving that, you know, my skill set is better than yours. I I know how to protect mm-hmm. myself and disable others better than you do. And for me, mm-hmm. that's that's everything because that's why I train. Do you really so? Cool. How, how often do you compete? <sighs> not nearly as much <laughs> as I want to. Let me tell you, I I was full time competing. From 2015 to 2020, before COVID. And yeah, I I mean, training a lot and competing a lot, like three competitions a month sometimes, uh, traveling internationally to compete. And it, it was amazing. That's what I wanted to do. And then COVID happened and I couldn't train. In New York, you couldn't even train. Like it was illegal to do jujitsu because it was physical contact. (laughs) So it it was, it was ridiculous. Um, So that's actually why I went back to school to pursue my doctorate in physical therapy. I switched gears because I was like, I'm going crazy. I don't know what I'm going to do if I can't do jujitsu, you know, like going to do pushups and yoga till I pass out in my apartment. Like, might as well take advantage of this. So right now I'm in school getting pursuing my doctorate for physical therapy. Uh, I have less than a year left. So it has been very rigorous and I've been training as much as I can and competing whenever something convenient with my schedule works out and, mm-hmm. you know, something that I feel adequately prepared for. But yeah, yeah I'm not competing or and or training nearly as much as I would like to. But that's... So we, we're- what school are you at now? You're in Flagstaff, right? Yes, Flagstaff, Arizona. I train out of Insurgent Fitness. Insurgent Fitness. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how many? How many? What is your percentage of training gi versus no gi? Now it is totally no gi. Totally no gi. Yeah, Insurgent is a no gi only school. Okay. Yeah, but mm. I wouldn't recommend that to someone starting out. But I used to train with a friend. Uh, who had a only no gi school and what I would do, I'd always bring my gi. I'd wear my gi every day. That was the funny thing. So all of his students were training no gi, but I would wear a gi every day and they'd freak out. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm like, do whatever you want. They're like, well, don't you need a gi back? I'm like, no, watch. (laughs) I always kept a gi on because I don't know. You know, I, I, I like, I liked the, um, complexity that the gi gives you that you don't have with no gi, you know? And so I would try and teach them stuff so that they could do things to me 
or attempt to attack me when I was wearing the gi. And I was just like, they're like, well, you're going to be handicapped. I'm like, all right, let's see. I mean, they couldn't ever do anything <laughs> to me, but I did it anyways, just for fun, just to kind of like balance myself out. So do you miss the gi at all? Or are you just, you're okay with just doing no gi? No, I definitely miss the gi, especially in terms of like throwing people. It's, yeah. you know, gi throws are the best and so fun and rewarding, oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, my, my old professor, JT Torres, he, I, I told you guys, I didn't like Gi in the beginning when I started. No wrestler, <laughs> you know, who's been wrestling their whole life likes throwing on a straight jacket. Um, sure. <laughs> but he told me, he's like, just trust me, Esteban, train both. You know, it's, yeah. it's okay. It's, it's, it, it's not that it directly translates, but I know everyone has their own experience with it. But right. for me, learning the gi aside from offensively learning how to launch people and that was just so fun after a while like that's what i'm addicted to now that's why i want to actually <laughs> pursue judo again like strict judo um in the future but defensively like giving someone a chance to control me more and me having to figure out how to not get controlled when they can just grab anything on me and have a tight grip just automatically that was huge for my development mm. of just learning how to keep people off me, knowing when to keep my distance, because even if I'm not wearing a gi, I should probably still keep that same amount of distance, you know, mm. things like that, that, that really helped me defensively translate into no gi. Um, another example of just knowing when you're in danger and when you're not like, what are you leaving out there? Uh, so yeah, I, I, I do miss the gi. I like throwing it on and anyone that's a black belt loves tying a black belt around your waist and cinching that knot, <laughs> you know, that's, I, I think anyone who has pride in their journey enjoys it, but it's something really started feeling special once I got my black belt and doing it. What was oh, yeah. that like for you getting your black belt? <laughs> and you, you have a competition coming up right in April. Yes. That you're, you have, uh, I noticed on your Instagram, you're people can buy tickets directly from you. Is, is that correct? Yep. Yep. It's on my Instagram page at Ramos underscore BJJ on Instagram. Um, yeah, I just got invited to it. I'd never heard of the promotion before. They sent me an Instagram message, said it was a cash tournament and I got bills to pay and tuition to pay. <laughs> so anytime <laughs> I hear cash tournament, if I can swing it, I'm in. Um, nice. Ed, to answer your question, how was it to get yeah. my black belt? Uh, it was... It was like the week before I left New York to come out here to Arizona and we had our promotion ceremony and I was leaving. I was leaving New York. I don't, I still don't know if I'm going to go back to New York after this, you know, whatever the future holds, I, I don't know in this, you know, I got one more year and then in December I'll figure it all out. But yeah, it was really, really hard to leave JT and my teammates mm -hmm. and the other coaches, but to get my black belt, you know, like a week before I made one of the biggest moves of my life was special. And it was, yeah. you know, it was really amazing. It was one of the best days of my life. That's awesome. Um, we have a lot of listeners who, I mean, they're obviously of multiple different ranges, um, in experience with grappling. What, as cliche as it sounds, what, do you have any insight or what would you recommend for people on how they can level up their grappling? I think that the best way to get good at grappling is to be curious. 
Be mm. curious. Don't don't get frustrated so easily. Like if if something happens to you, immediately, how did that happen? And figure it out. You know, tackle people become overwhelmed far too easily because it's overwhelming. There's a million different mm-hmm. hypothetical scenarios that can happen like we were talking about before where it's what if, what if, what mm-hmm. if. Just Find a problem <laughs> that you had in your last role and work on that problem. And eventually along the journey, you're going to solve millions of problems. And that's how you sharpen the sword. It's not just by, you know, you can want to work something and want to get better at a particular thing. But if it's not serving you in that moment, put it on the back burner. Mm-hmm. You know, what's in your face? What's happening to you in the gym every day? Because if that same thing keeps happening, you're not going to last long. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to quit. You wanted to learn that cool barambolo, but you keep getting your back taken with the same pass. It's like, learn how to defend your back, you know, do the bolo later. Who cares? But yeah, so just be curious and be very, be like inquisitive, you know, like just ask questions and, and go down rabbit holes, but not, I don't know, not annoyingly for no reason because you're truly trying to solve a problem that that's Mm. in your face you know any and i appreciate all that um any words in that sense for coaches and teachers out there with your experience on what they could do to better for their students yeah i think we talked a a little bit about that uh give them a chance to succeed you know if you teach them a move put them in positions where they can use that move don't don't teach people stuff and just expect them to get good at it, you know? And I think also it's hard because, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to cater your class in a way that will turn off students. Like I'm thinking about implementing drilling. Some people do not want to come to jujitsu class to drill hobbyists. You know, they, they want to come, they want to learn a technique. They want to let off some steam with 30 minutes of rolling at the end. And they want to go home feeling accomplished. And that's totally cool. There's a place for that, but like maybe have a class that's a drilling class at least once a week where like people who want to drill can come or have open mats. I don't know. See, the thing with open mats is no one drills at open mat. Everyone wants to go to open mat to roll hard and go get food after or something like that. So, um, But yeah, I I think that you have to, when you teach someone a move, you have to situationally continue to put them in the move and yeah, don't, don't be too harsh, especially if you're trying to critique one of your athletes, don't give them seven things that they have to fix. Just give them one thing to fix. And when they fix that one thing, then you can tell them two. They fix two. Then you can tell them three. You tell them seven things, their mind is going to explode. They're trying to focus on seven things at once. They're just going to freeze or spaz out and do something wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So to start wrapping up a little bit here, I got one question. We haven't done this one in a while, Coach, so I'm going to ask, I'm gonna ask uh, Steve Go here this it. question. So it's called the saying. Steve Silver's um, Superstition Inquisition. We had a guest yeah. on who was the uh, master's uh, – <clears throat> Nogi world champ, Steve Silvers. Uh, he's out in India right now, and we would love to try and get him back on the show. But he had – we talked to him about the superstitions that jiu-jitsu people have or that really anybody has. 
So for him, it was like wearing a specific pair of shorts whenever he was doing Nogi. And he's a Nogi guy as well. So <laughs> for him, it was like a specific pair of shorts. And, you know, our our good buddy Joel Bain uh, with catch wrestling, like he's got a specific pair of wrestling shoes. I mean, they're like hold out. He just duct tapes them up and just keeps going. Like, do you have any kinds of strange superstitions or I, I don't want to say strange just any superstitions that you have whether it's prior to competition prior to training you know do you put your left foot in your pants before your right foot just because you have to <laughs> <laughs> you know, do you have anything like that uh, i will say that when i was in high school wrestling my mm. junior year i got a pair of high socks that had a particular logo on them it was like this girl laying down or whatever i don't know they were cool <laughs> They were cool socks and yeah. junior year, I was tearing it up. I was having a really good year and I, I thought it was the socks. I was like, I need my socks, you know? I mean, sophomore year, I had a good year too, but junior year, there was something going on. I, I just needed my socks and it was like the sectional tournament state qualifier and my socks weren't in my bag. And I called my mom freaking out like she's crying because I'm yelling at her. I'm like, you got to find my socks. This is the day. If I don't win this, I don't go to States. She finally found my socks and I lost in the finals that tournament wearing the socks. And I have never been superstitious since I realized that was weird. It was a weird phase. (laughs) It was a weird phase. And man, that was... That was 16 years ago, and I have not been superstitious since. Uh, it's me. It's it's not anything I yeah. do. It's how I train. It's how I prepare. It's the day of, how I eat, how I ready my body, how I stretch, how I warm up. It's, you know, no. No more superstition for me. I, cool. I got it now. I got to ask a question because we, we're ignoring the fact that this guy is getting his doctorate in physical therapy. Mm-hmm. And all of us are always injured. Okay. <laughs> I've got two torn shoulders mm-hmm. for God knows how many years. My, you know, herniated discs in my neck, my back, bone spurs, the whole thing. So give us all some guidance in terms of what should we be doing in terms of just the very basics of how we can keep our body healthy as we're grappling. What can we do from our shoulders, hips, legs, whatever? What do you think is important? What should we be doing? Yeah, that's that's very, very important. And I will say uh, wrestlers notoriously have horrible shoulders. And it's because they shoot on takedowns, their opponent sprawls, and they end up in this position right here. And they don't let go of that leg. They just keep getting their shoulders cranked for years. Yeah. When they should let go, <laughs> like they should absolutely let go of that leg and either get taken down or, you know, figure something out. But I think that the most important thing you can learn how to do is know when to let go. It's okay. Like if you, if you get to a leg or whatever position it is and it starts torquing you, just let it go and figure out how you got there and don't get there again or figure out a way that when you get there, you can escape or change it to something that works for you that doesn't sacrifice your body. In the same breath, I will say I do yoga several times a week. I'm also a yoga teacher. Stretch. <laughs> like stretch and like really stretch. Not like, oh, I'm just going to warm up and 
oh, do some circles and I'm good. It's like, no, you gotta, you gotta stretch and you gotta hold it for like 30 seconds to a minute. Every time I, it's very good to keep your body mobile because at the end of the day, we learn all these skills, but these skills can't be used if our body has physical limitations that don't match that skill set. So basically I think that you should become as mobile as possible so that way you have options to which techniques you can use. The more that your body can do, the more techniques you can do. That's just how it correlates. And if your body can't do much, if your range of motion's garbage, there that like cuts your techniques in half for the potential moves that you can do. Or more importantly, the moves that can be done to you. Mm, makes sense. Um I I just have one kind of favor to ask of you go as you go through your DPT program is when I injured my back, all the physical therapists kept telling me to do, was it the cat camel? Right? Yeah, Stretching cat cow, cat you, camel, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you could just start referring to that as the barfing cat or barfing dog, I'd appreciate it because that's what I felt like I was looking like. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> so, Anyway, um, how can people get a hold of you? Yeah, Instagram's the best way, Ramos underscore BJJ. Send me a DM, uh, any requests for seminars. I'm always, always looking to travel, always looking to meet new people, make new connections, new friends. And I'm always looking to teach, you know, I love teaching. So if you want to learn from me, please reach out. You know, if, if you're a, a host of a competition and you want me to compete, send me a message. If I can swing it, I'll be there. I love to compete. So yeah, Instagram. Awesome. 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 We'd love to have you come out. If you're ever out in Orange County, we'd love to have you come by the school and, out and train us. with us. So, yeah, you know, cause we got, you know, we're not far from where Barnett hosts the, the tournaments, right? So we're like 20 minutes away from the tournament. So you got a free place to stay. You got a free training room to come in and train with us. You can throw Ed around. <laughs> well, I appreciate that guys, especially, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be in Arizona come this time come next year so i gotta get all my california trips in while i can i'm only about six hours from you guys yeah yep so yeah anything you need you just uh let us know because uh you're you are a special specimen and like i said i'm not impressed with many people at all everybody bores me to death but you we need more we need more young grapplers like you that do it right and actually know how to wrestle and know how to kick ass and not like pussyfoot around on there <laughs> thank you well stay tuned on <laughs> april 6th i anticipate putting on a good show love it awesome, I'm, I'm, honestly i'm gonna say this i'm usually the fanboy in, in most situations it's kind of funny to see coach brian being the fanboy right now, <laughs> so but that being said i'll, I'll end it on that note. so hey thank you guys for listening uh steve esteban thanks for so much thank you so much for making time to be on the show best of luck to you with all the competitions um, and especially in your journey with uh, getting your DPT there, I think it's super awesome. Um, again, let us know if there's anything we can do to help support you. And um, we, you know, if there's uh, doors open for you to train with us, uh, we'd love to come have you come out and we'd love to have you back on the show. So uh, we, that's, that's on the table as well. Um, other than that, coach, you got anything? No, this is great. He's, he's a, guys, if you have not checked Steven out, you have to go watch some of his highlights 
we'll go to his show. If you're in the Phoenix area, and you know what? I'm going to go yell at Jay Pages, my good buddy Jay Pages, <laughs> to make sure he fills those seats for you. Because he's in Phoenix. And uh, I think you actually beat one of his guys. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the fight to win, fight to win of 2022. That was my black yeah. belt debut. Yeah. 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 And that was like, whew, that was an execution. I, I was like, <laughs> God damn. So I can rub that in Jay's face a little bit. <laughs> so no, but I'll, I'll, I'll definitely nudge Jay to make sure those seats are filled for you. Awesome. Well, I appreciate uh, that. I, I definitely would have loved to have more eyeballs on you because you're exactly the type of grappler that I think people need to aspire to be. Um, because I think the pendulum has swung far too much in the other end and this jackassery that I see, it really annoys me. Uh, so I love what you're doing. You keep it up and anything we can do to support you, we're here for you. Thank you so much, Brian and Ed, for having me on the show. I would love to be back. Uh, I do have to throw out just one plug. Guys, if you Please. need jujitsu gear, 93 brand is the best gear out there. <laughs> Yeah, I but I look forward to coming to California and hanging out with you guys. I really appreciate it. Let's do it. Cool. All right. Thanks, buddy. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. Well-